listening to the Small Town Queer podcast produced by Tweed Regional Museum in northern New South Wales, Australia. Follow us as we uncover and explore Tweed's rich queer history from the early 1900s to the present. The museum has collaborated with LGBTQIA community members to collect, share and preserve the histories of Tweed's many and varied queer voices. to recognise the generations of local Aboriginal people of the Bundjalung Nation who are the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we are recording this podcast today. My name is Emma Shield. And my name is Erica Taylor and we are the curators of the Small Town Queer Digital Project and Exhibition. Hello. On today's podcast, we are talking to Tobin Saunders, famously known as Vanessa Wagner. Tobin is a freelance performer, writer, choreographer, dancer, actor, DJ and events coordinator and producer. He is the creator of one of Australia's most well-known, colourful and entertaining identities, Vanessa Wagner. Tobin has been involved in theatre works, production and performance at Mardi Gras, in fashion parades, film and dance variety theatres, numerous TV appearances. For 35 years, Tobin has been an activist, HIV advocate and educator. He has been an out HIV role model since his diagnosis in 1991. Tobin moved to the Northern Rivers in 2002 and is currently the Community Health Promotions Officer for ACON Northern Rivers. Welcome Tobin. Thank you for joining us for the museum's first podcast series. You're welcome. It's great to chat to you, Erica. Um, we're so excited you decided to come on board with this project and help us out and tell your story and be one of our small town queer icons. Um, and so we're asking in this podcast, we're asking all of our participants, the first question is how, how do you identify as a small town queer? Wow. Okay. How do I identify as a small town queer? Well, I think I go through periods of being um, very low-key um, and someone who fits into the, the general regional landscape um, and other times in my uh, different work modes or performance modes, um, I identify as kind of like this rare, colourful, um, uh, unusual creature that sort of stands out from... The, the local flora and fauna. So, yeah, I'm a bit of a all over the shop. It's good to stand out, though, isn't it? That's um, it's a beautiful thing to do. If we're all the same, it just life would be very boring. Yeah. Look, I think um, my identity doesn't differ uh, enormously. I think sometimes our public and private, um, you know, performance of identity can change with, with our environments. Um, and sometimes that's around familiarity or safety or a um, whole lot of reasons. So, yeah, I think my identity is, is not um, static. It's, it's fluid. Talking about your identity and your alter identity, I guess, do you want to give listeners, this is going to be a hard question, a brief um, history about you, how you and Vanessa got started? 
Yeah, that's a brief history. Um, I studied dance after being um, after rescuing a little warehouse party in Sydney in the 80s, um, which led to um, learning some dance, which led me to uh, studying at the Centre for Performing Arts in Adelaide, which led me to meet a fantastic group of um, amazing people with creative minds and um, comedic leanings. Um, and through that dance, um, we developed, uh, well, once we'd graduated, we um, went back to Sydney and created some very um, interesting kind of anti-dance, um, parody dance, uh, piss-taking what we thought was, you know, quite serious high culture. And, and within that was a whole lot of um, gender, um, gender fuck, really. People dressing up in all sorts of outfits, regardless of their sex assigned at birth. So we had cis women and cis men dragging it up. And then um, I was always fond of chucking a, a party. Um, and uh, because to get through some of my studies um, and some of my performing work, I had to be a bartender and a barista. So I learned how to make cocktails. And uh, yeah, I was, um, I saw a crazy movie, um, a telly movie. Um, and I, uh, one of the characters was called Vanessa Wagner, which is where her name came from. And this mad character was born around 1991 um, through a whole lot of parties in my Darlinghurst pad. Uh, which were very popular, invite only, very camp, um, and you had to dress up. So it was kind of an enforced, um, uh, it was kind of an anti-casual stance. Uh, in the early 90s, you may remember in some cities there was, uh, you know, it was the white T-shirts and jeans for the gay boys and everything was quite um, pared back and there was the industrial look and I wanted to bring back colour and movement. So she was born and one Mardi Gras Fair Day, um, Miss Mardi Gras Fair Day uh, in 1993. And from then onwards, I promoted parties and events um, and hosted all sorts of activities. Um, yeah, right up to the drag race at Bondi Beach, hosting the um, street reporting for the uh, Mardi Gras telecast and a myriad of other, other gigs. So yeah, she's still around. She's still around, yes. And um, while you're on speaking of her past kind of achievements, the um, she was also involved in the Sydney Olympics closing ceremony. Yes, and damn, I smuggled a little uh, mini tape recorder, a video recorder in. I was on the Priscilla uh, sort of floats um, sitting atop a huge wig um, and I've lost that footage. But that was both, um, you know, an honour and an incredibly exciting experience. But I I had some reservations too about where we were placed in the parade. We were kind of at the arse end and it it just felt a little bit um, like we could have been uh, announced and and given a little bit more... um, respect um and 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 honor um along with all the the big stars and sports people but it was fantastic that that was uh parts of lgbtiq inclusion in that ceremony and really critical for the world to see um that sydney and also this country has a long history of um, performing and gender illusionism and queer culture yeah absolutely 
And so while Vanessa is evolving, um, so it was around that time you were diagnosed as HIV positive? That was a bit earlier. So that happened around 19, early 1991. Um, and so that was kind of at the end of my dance studies and the very beginning of uh, my, um, well, yeah, at the earlier stages of my performing um, with a dance troupe. Um, so, yeah, by the time 2000 came, um, that was nearly a decade on. Um, and for a lot of POS people, they, they may not have thought they were going to see the, the new millennium. And so it was, for me, a personal milestone to survive to then. Yeah, a scary time too for yes. so many people. Yes. And so when, um, why did you decide to move up to the beautiful Northern Rivers? Vanessa had been performing uh, all across the country um, in regional towns, capital cities, uh, and I was able to venture up to the Northern Rivers of New South Wales on several occasions to uh, support local events. Um, and some of those events were uh, for HIV positive people um, in the community. Um, I can remember hosting a, a fab uh, women's event um, there was a, a debate around lipstick uh, lesbians and butch lesbians and it was a real honour to be asked to uh, host that and it was hysterical. Um, so look, I sensed something beautiful about this area and uh, felt it um, and a few friends had uh, some uh, little holiday rentals that they would come up to and so I was exposed to... Um, some towns in the Northern Rivers and I just thought, this is beautiful. Um, this is where I want to be. And for, a, it's interesting, there's like this diaspora of um, all sorts of people that have come to the Northern Rivers for a whole lot of reasons over the last few decades. But probably in the 90s, uh, a lot of HIV positive gay men came to this area as a place of healing, but also to get away from the hustle and bustle of the city and, um, yeah, maybe have, have a, a quieter life. And look, to be honest, I thought I was going to come up here and, you know, just die quietly in the hills and that didn't happen. So it was an escape from the, the, the city and the attraction of um, the beauty of this area and the fact that it, that it has a, a vibrant um, queer culture in, in places um, but also just has a, a lovely gentle um, and accepting vibe. Can you describe a bit how you felt moving from Sydney and from that scene which is, you know, so big and bright and busy and, and loud in a way, moving up here, what was life like when you, when you first moved up here? Well, I kind of ran. It was, I think, some people's, you know, when big things happen in your life, they're often, they can be a crisis or just a, a big key moment and for me it was a combination of Sydney being um, becoming more gentrified it was becoming noisier expensive um, I had sort of had a few issues with various um, business people down in Sydney with my performing work um, which kind of made me feel a little bit cranky and cynical so for me it was a bolt um, what do they call it a geographical um, and having been up here uh, 
before for several Christmases, I'd experienced the pace. Um, but I think for a lot of people that it t can take up to a couple of years to really just settle into that slower pace of life. So for me, it was like an instant relief to be away from the noise and the cacophony and um, all those things that I wanted to break from. But it was like re relearning how to um, relax and you know not have a gay bar just around the corner or um, sex on tap down the road or endless cafes and street culture um, and that was the, the biggest and hardest adjustment um, was that immediate sense of isolation which then softened into you know a, a lovely sense of uh, solitude and contention I mean contentedness <laughs> <laughs> Um, and what about Vanessa? I know, you know, I've been lucky enough to see Vanessa's closet. How did, how did Vanessa kind of adapt to regional life? Look, Vanessa uh, in some ways is, uh, you know, the, the drag queen for the people, um, a little bit like the, the VW vehicle. She's the people's drag queen. Um, and so really it didn't matter where she was. I think people respond very um uh very basically really to to a character like Vanessa with all that color and movement so wherever i performed in the area i was you know welcomed um with with open arms and um yeah and Vanessa loved it as well uh, i i think the humidity might have impacted on her her hair a little bit her wig um and it's not fun um whacking on that much makeup in 90% humidity when it's 35 degrees, but we do adjust. <laughs> and and does, does a regional audience adjust? How, do you find there's a difference between a regional audience for your performances and a more, you know, urban city audience? It depends on the performance. So I can remember doing a, hosting a comedy event um, in a little town up here in the north and, uh, you know, obviously, it's really important to do research around local um, local quirks um, and local uh, sort of um, insights, and ha and have some little ob observation about about what's happening and and tailoring that. So I think that happens for any performer. If you're if you're in a particular place, it's great to connect with people um, to show that you know what's happening in that area. If it's me hosting a performance or an event around something like HIV um, and education around HIV, those themes are, are quite universal. So if I'm um, supporting a group of people talking around HIV treatments or around mental health, um, those topics don't vary a lot um, from location to location. But having said that, uh, maybe on the topic of mental health, um, a bit of social isolation and a few other factors might come into play when you're um, hosting in a regional space. Your advocacy work and that role that you take as an educator, um, what, what year did you start? Well, can you remember what year you started with ACON up here? Mm. I mean, my advocacy started way back in the um, mid-80s with the Sydney Gay Youth Group and then in the late 80s um, doing some performances for ACT UP um, before I was even HIV positive. Um, and then 
I came out very publicly um, in Sydney as soon as I became HIV positive um, as a personal um, way of releasing any kind of secrets, um, but also as a way of sharing my experience and um, trying to minimise stigma by by not being ashamed of it, by being really out and um, and proud and not shamed that this is something that can happen to anyone. So that happened quite quite early on. Um, and then a variety of HIV AIDS organisations around the country saw the opportunity of a, um, you know, a, a fun, um, eloquent at times um, character advocate for HIV. So I had worked for ACON as a contractor on and off for... Um, and other organisations for decades. Um, and so when I moved up to the Northern Rivers about 17 years ago, um, that continued, um, although a lot of the work was in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and I think to drag is exhausting um, and often not well paid. Um, and things are changing now, it seems, which is great. Um, and so the opportunity to um, work at ACON in health promotion uh, happened around 2010. So I've just, it was 10 years in May this year. So that's community health promotion, very separate from the Vanessa uh, work, but um, similar themes around messaging, around HIV and STI prevention, stigma, support for our communities. And so on that topic, there was a moment, um, you know, speaking about being out and using that to bring positive messages and, and advocate for people who are HIV positive. Um, so back in 2002, you were on Australian Celebrity Big Brother. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, it's sort of equally... Um the zenith and nadir of uh, that part of my life. Um, another friend uh, who um, was a celebrity um, declined to be on the show and suggested um, that I go on. And I'd sort of looked at how little uh, queer representation there was and, and in some ways there still is in our mainstream media. Um, it was the early days of reality television. Big Brother was really rating very highly. And I, um, the producers kind of had to do some research. They asked a few key people if they knew who I was you know, to confirm celeb my celebrity status. Um, and that was confirmed. And I just thought this is an opportunity to be in the lounge rooms of mainstream Australia, showing myself as a, uh, you know, an out, happy, comfortable, healthy gay man, but also a performer. And I, and I wanted that to, uh, to be seen. And so I, I, I went into the house um, and it was a very, well, as on the opening night, um, which was live, uh, television, I, I think I only decided at the last minute that this was an opportunity to get a message in um, without it being edited out. Um, and it was uh, the funds raised for the Celebrity Big Brother in 2002 were for the Starlight Foundation. Uh, and I thought it was really important that as a HIV positive person that I 
shared my experience with the audience and gave them hope, um, you know, in the face of potential adversity. So having not told the producers, the host or any of the um, housemates, um, I outed myself as HIV positive on national television before we went into the house, which was, I loved it. I loved doing it. And a lot of people were very grateful that I did that because that just wouldn't happen normally. You wouldn't have the, the, the mention of HIV and a happy, healthy face matching that on mainstream television at seven o'clock at night. And it must have been one of the first times that's ever happened on live television. I don't, I don't know about that. Maybe in Australia. I mean, I'm sure there had, there would have been many um, uh, editorials and um, documentaries and small, uh, you know, TV segments around HIV with people being interviewed. But in that context of popular culture and reality television and throwing HIV and drag and homosexuality into the mix, it was a heady brew. Yeah, I think one that's remembered by probably quite a few, you know, Australian people, not easily forgotten. Yeah, and I, I don't think it was really discussed much in the house at all, um, which was interesting. Um, people weren't sort of trying to keep their distance with all that misinformation around, uh, you know, how HIV is, um, you know, passed on. Um, what I think was more interesting was that the producers were expecting me to just be living in drag the whole time. And so it was about um, unpacking some of that um, assumptions and confusions around um, perf performing as a drag character or being transgender or being a transvestite or, you know, like really clarifying that. So I wanted the public to see that when I wasn't in drag, I was a quite different person. Um, a you know cisgendered um, white gay man um, with interests that vary um, from from other gay men. So it was about just just by existing on television is is representing a part of our community, and and that was the the most important part for me. Um, absolutely, I think one of my favourite things I've seen a few clips. There's not much footage left around. My favourite clips are when Vanessa got out the interviews she did with, I think it was Bert Newton or the morning shows. Yes. Um, was just fantastic. Just You just continue to advocate and you're so, she's so quick-witted. <laughs> she's so quick. Look, it was, it, it was, very exciting, um, you know. I mean, once uh, I was um, evicted from the house with Anthony Mundine, you know, I was making a joke that the drag queen gay man and the Aboriginal man are the first to go um, um, to sort of marginalised minorities. But uh, there was quite a lot of media attention, um, and that was that was fun to sort of ride on that wave. Um, but it was also sad because, um, you know, there was this suggestion or expectation that this might translate into um, somebody wanting to utilise Vanessa to, you know, host her own show or be, be more than just a sort of queer uh, bauble that gets dragged out 
um, you know, for occasions, uh, which sometimes I think um, happens with drag. It's like, oh, we need some colour of movement. We'll we'll get a drag queen. Doesn't matter who they are, what they are, but they just we, and and I like the idea of seeing uh, you know performers front and centre of you know their own work um, and and shows. Um, and you know, I did work on a pilot um, variety TV show that didn't get picked up and. You know, that's uh, something, maybe it was just the timing. Um, Vanessa's always joked about being, you know, ahead of a time and on the, on the cutting edge and um, that that sometimes, you know, takes a while for culture to catch up. I absolutely think that's true. And Emma and I spoke about how Vanessa was ahead of her time, but particularly the time you went, the Big Brother time, where social media wasn't around and how different that might look now with social media and, you know, hashtags and how viral kind of messages can go. It's interesting that she's, she, is ahead, she is ahead of her time and she's doing all these things that would be, would be interesting to, you know, see now in that kind of social media world. Yeah, well, our media back then was very much radio um, and television um, and telephones. And when you had an opportunity to be on um, television, particularly um, free-to-air television, you know, the audiences were huge. and uh, But they were not as big as potential audiences now. So, yeah, how, how that might translate in this new digital world um yeah it's 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 hard to see there's a lot of people out there now putting content out and um you really do need probably a, a sort of a younger savvy uh social media person to really help uh, what's that curate your um your life your digital life now yes she was an influencer before it was even a digital term I think she would have just been a massive influence, like a massive influencer. Um, but it is, it must have been, you know, it's hard but to be the, the groundbreaker, I guess, the, the person that goes first. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I so enjoyed, um, you know, co-hosting the Ladies' Lounge um, on Triple J um, as a guest and also being guests on various shows. But I kind of drew the line where it was like, no, I don't want to just keep being a, a guest on another sort of quiz panel show or another show. I want my show, you know, I, I want to be the host of this. I want to lead this. I want to show that um, queer people and drag queens um, are strong in themselves and uh, just as capable of, of leading um, rather than being, you know, a part of the sort of mainstream popular culture. And on that note, how how important do you think that is in a regional setting as well? I mean, to, compared to the cities that we're... I can imagine it might be an easier path. So, well, I think... Um, it depends where you are. So, you know, in some regional spaces, um, we have different um, levels of diversity. Um, and I think um, it's it's really critical to have, um, you know, a good balance of um, 
representation everywhere. In some ways, I don't, I don't think it, it matters where you are. Um, but also, yeah, with the, the, the change in our media landscape, you know, recently we've had a lot of local newspapers that have been axed um, and that opportunity for sto local stories to be told in a local context has changed. Um, I know there are message boards and um, social media groups that um, support people. But, um, yeah, I think more than ever, um, diversity needs to be represented in our regional communities um, because sometimes people are physically distanced from each other um, and so that doesn't give the opportunity to create maybe a critical mass that then gives a, um, a profile to, to, to people and, and what they do. And so you might have an idea through your, your role with ACON and, you know, in the community. Do you think um, it's important to have dedicated queer community spaces in regional areas? I do. I think everyone wants a space where they feel safe and can really let their hair down metaphorically and, and, act, and physically. Um, well, that's being a bit hairist, isn't it? Assuming everyone's got lots of hair. Um, I, I used to always think, look, you know, we, as a marginalised minority LGBTIQ people, um, needed the comfort and safety of their own dedicated spaces as a way of um, developing, um, seeing diversity within their community and then using that as a, as a way of being able to um, engage in, in the greater community. Um, so I believe there's, there's room for both. I don't think I'd want to just exclusively attend um, queer events or go to queer spaces, but I think it's really important that they're available, um, but also that mainstream spaces um, through whatever way, whether it's symbolic or through signage, um, or, or through just their um, inviting um, sort of ways, ensure that queer people are, feel safe and comfortable in those spaces as well. Because, you know, I love all humans and um, it's fun to be in a room with people who could talk to you about an experience that you've never heard of or thought of and vice versa. So I find that tension and... Um, difference really exciting not not that that doesn't happen within queer spaces but i think the dynamics are different yeah so one of the things i know we've been doing as a museum as part of small town queer and queering our museum we work, we've been working with acon to get diversity training to all of our staff and volunteers but we've also taken part in the welcome here project yep just such an easy thing to do for any kind of business or space to go onto the Welcome Here website and sign up and you get your welcome pack with stickers, just basically saying everyone is welcome here in this space. And I think it's a beautiful program and, and it's great to have watched that um, program move from, um, you know, the anti-violence project many years ago to the safety and, and inclusion program. Um, and yeah, little things like that make a big difference. So for uh, people who aren't in a large capital city with a big LGBTQ 
community and um, concentrations of LGBTQ populations, just seeing a little symbol um, is enough. Like even in a, in a local shop here, um, the company allows the staff to put rainbow badges, uh, little rainbow flags on their name badges. And uh, that, that, that has a really profound impact for, for some people. Or if people choose to wear a pronoun badge, um, that can have a really profound impact on um, particularly, you know, like a young gender diverse person who, who might feel a little bit alone and misunderstood. Um, and to see those um, symbols and to see that knowledge reflected back is, is really affirming. And I just, you know, I think a, a, they make it so easy to do for, for people and businesses. It's so easy. It's no trouble at all. And it makes such a big impact, such a small kind of thing to do. Yeah. And look, there's a whole spectrum of um, capacity in our um, supporting uh, community groups, organisations. So we have a whole pride in training, um, pride in wellbeing, pride in sport. There's all different levels of online, in-person um, cultural competence training that people can participate in. Um, and having um, hosted some training over the last 10 years in various settings, from aged care settings to alcohol and drug settings, it's it's a reminder that this work still needs to be done because, uh, you know, there, there wasn't... Our education system uh, has often shied away from uh, talking about sexuality and gender diversity. Um, and so, and often too, when people um, enter tertiary education um, for their work in a sector, often um, LGBTIQ issues um, are not part embedded in, in that. So when you're talking to um, a whole room of aged care workers um, and talking to them about, uh, you know, an, an ageing trans woman and, and her needs in an aged care setting, that, that requires, um, you know, lots of support and lots of awkward questions and gentle support. And is, are there any programs uh, or projects you're doing, working on at the moment that you'd like to let people know about? Well, Vanessa, um, it's weird. I've sort of got this, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? Not split personality. It's like I've got a partitioned hard drive. Um, ACON's currently working um, around AIDS Awareness Week and World AIDS Day. Um, an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander HIV Awareness Week and then health promotion leading up to New Year. Um, in the absence of any major parties this year, um, you know, our focus will be on ensuring we can get our HIV and STI prevention messages out to our community um, in a sort of COVID-safe way. Um, but also in my Vanessa world, um, Vanessa will be attending uh, uh, the HIV um, Society for HIV Medicine, um, ASHAM um, conference, um, just reporting back on an, uh, a series of events during winter called um, Chinwag Positive Connection. And these were events that Vanessa had hosted for at least a decade prior around the country 
for HIV positive people to come together to talk about various um, themes. Um, but so this uh, this year, Positive Connection uh, Chinwag was around keeping people connected during COVID-19. So it'll be great to showcase what we did to um, clinicians and academics and workers and conference attendees. There's plenty of else going on just in general at ACOM. We're very busy. We're um, constantly evolving and it's, uh, you know, everything's been thrown up a bit in the air with COVID too, um, just for everyone. So, yeah, lots happening. Lots happening for you and Vanessa. Well, thank you so much, Tobin, for um, joining us here on our podcast. Um, we really, really appreciate your time and um, sharing your small town queer story with us. Well, thank you. Yes, it was a bit of a sea change, tree change, flea change, but I don't regret it at all. Thank you for listening to the Small Town Queer podcast. To hear more Small Town Queer stories, subscribe to the series and like, share and review this episode. And check out the Small Town Queer playlist on Spotify, curated by museum staff and project participants. For more information about Small Town Queer, visit museum.tweed.newsouthwales.gov.au forward slash small hyphen town hyphen queer. Tweed Regional Museum is supported by the New South Wales Government through Create Funding New South Wales. This project would not have been possible without the support and collaboration of the people of Tweed who have generously shared their lived experiences, archives and objects with this project.